0: Yeah, so we thank you, Jesus. So today we're starting a new series I'm excited about on taking the nations for Christ. And um, this is going to kind of be more or less an introduction this morning. Some of it's going to be review. Um, and really, the, the the need is to um, set a biblical framework and outline. So some, for some of you, this can be review. For some of you, this may be new. Um, but... The purpose of this message today, this morning, and really this series, um, well, there's a huge, there's a pretty big purpose, but this morning, um, the purpose of this message is is to show you that God wants to fill the earth with his glory, that nations are his idea. And number three is that taking nations is our core identity. So that's gonna be, the why of what we're moving into this morning. Anybody excited? Men, all right. So I'm going to pray, and then we'll uh, jump into this. So Jesus, we just thank you for your presence here this morning. You are a supreme joy, Jesus. We love your presence. We love to worship you, Jesus. We love to be with you. We love to celebrate you. We love to remember what you've done for us. We glorify you. We ask that your name would be lifted high, that Jesus, you would, that Holy Spirit, you would lift up Jesus in this place, in this city, in this nation, and in the nations of the, the earth. Glorify your name. Hallowed be your name, Jesus. Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Glorify your Son. We ask that you would do a mighty work in us, in each person in this room. We would pray and ask you that you would fill your people with the knowledge of your will. We pray this in order that we may please you in every way. That, Lord, we would bear fruit in every good work. That you would strengthen us with might, according to your glorious power at work within us. Father, I ask you to bless your people with peace In Jesus' name. And I pray just for grace just to be in this place this morning. And the joy of the Holy Spirit to be on us. I pray for freedom. Just declare freedom over every single person, Lord. Break every chain. Break every yoke of oppression, burdens. Just declare that we would walk in freedom as the children of light. In the name of Jesus. Holy Spirit, we just invite you. Your presence. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. All right. So, I'm going to be jumping around here, but if you want, you can turn your Bibles to um, Genesis, Genesis chapter 11. In Exodus chapter 19, verse 6, there's this prophetic statement made by the Lord. And this is really an invitation to the nation of Israel. And he says, you shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words which you shall speak. Speaking to Moses, these are the words which you shall speak to the children of Israel. And then in Revelation 1, 6, another prophetic statement is made. He has made us to be kings and priests. To his God and to Father, to him be the glory and the dominion forever and ever. In Revelation five ten, it's repeated. He has made us to be kings and priests, and we shall reign on the earth. Many of you guys know this, um, and we've talked about it um, frequently. But in Genesis, God created us with two primary callings. The first, your first, your primary calling is communion with the Father. It's communion with God. Your primary calling is um, is intimacy with the Lord. It is friendship. And out of that friendship, out of that intimacy, out of that communion, flows your secondary calling. And that is to subdue the earth. That is to take dominion. You were given in the garden keys of authority to subdue and to influence. To build a family, to reproduce, to multiply, to expand the borders of the garden. And so your, your uh, first calling has to do with your, a priestly role that you carry, and that is your first calling is to minister to the Lord Himself. It is to uh, receive His love for you. It is to receive His affection, to, to allow Him to heal you. It's to gaze upon Him in His beauty. It's the one thing, and David um, in Psalms 20 said, one thing I desire of the Lord, to gaze upon Him in His temple to gaze upon the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And there's a reciprocating that takes place of as we're receiving his passion toward us and his love toward us. There's a reciprocation that we begin to, there's an explosion of praise that takes place as we just see just the breadth and the depth and the height and the length of just how much he loves us, just how much he's done for us. This is God's heartbeat. This is your your primary calling it's to be with God. It's to love Him and to enjoy Him forever. This is this is uh, the chief um, the chief purpose of man. I, I was taught that as a young um, child was the it's the first question in the catechism, and it always stuck with me. Which is the importance of training our children when they're young. But the first question of the catechism is what is man? What is the chief in purpose of man, and that is the answer to love God and to enjoy Him. That always stuck with me. So that's your that's that's your chief in purpose. Isn't that beautiful to enjoy God? Not just not just to do things for Him, not just to uh, build His kingdom, but to enjoy Him, just to love Him, just to be with Him, and that He actually delights. In Zephaniah three seventeen, it says He takes delight in us, shouting over us, singing and dancing over us. So it's something that we can never, it says um, to know the love of Christ which, which surpasses knowledge, that Christ might dwell in our hearts, that he might manifest his presence so that we might know that which we can never comprehend. But there is a calling, you know, um, in Ephesians 3 it tells us, but by grace you've been saved, this is not of your own doing, this is not of works, lest any man should boast. You guys know this? But the verse right after it says, for you were created in Christ Jesus for good works. So there's twofold is that you can't be saved by works, but the grace that saves you equips you for the works that you were called to do beforehand because before you were made, you were created in Christ to do those things. So he said, it's finished, but he didn't mean it was done. He's saying, what I've done is finished. Now I'm passing the baton to you to complete the work, to enforce the victory and to manifest what the cross accomplished. So. So your, your secondary calling, the dominion mandate has to flow out of your primary, which is the communion, which is friendship, which is the grace of God. It's the revelation that the church was built on. On this rock, I will build my church. He was talking to Peter when he said that. So your secondary calling has to do with your kingly role. So you're, you're, you're a priest. In his temple, you cultivate his presence, you communion with him, and you minister to him. And secondly, you're a king in his courts, is that you are called, given a divine authority to subdue the earth. You're called to rule and reign. You're called to be a conqueror in the earth. So there's a high call that comes out of, out of um, a deeply instilled identity. Amen? Okay, so I'm a priest and I'm a king. I'm called to take dominion, I'm called to rule with the heart of a servant. I'm called to use the God-given authority to bring impact for God's glory. Dominion out of communion. Your kingly role to subdue flows out of your priestly role to minister and to cultivate his presence. Okay, so communion's so vital because it's something we have to be with God so that we can be healed, so that he can restore us, so that we can love as we've been loved. We've got to be with him to, to love like him. And this establishes us in an identity, nature. Um, But as we know in Genesis, um, Adam and Eve, they were given this dominion mandate to rule the earth, subdue it, expand the borders of the garden, build a family, be fruitful, multiply. But we know that they forfeited that authority. They gave away those keys when they not only disobeyed God, but they obeyed Satan. When that happened, um, they handed to Satan through an agreement the authority that God had given them. And when that happened, sin entered the world. Satan crafted a lie to cause them to question God's word and the intimate fellowship with God was severely harmed. And But in that moment, we also see something beautiful took place and that was the first gospel was presented and proclaimed and it's known as the proto Evangelum. and it was in Eden when God killed an animal and he, and he made a prophetic statement and he's speaking of Eve, he says, out of her seed he shall crush thy head and he shall bruise thy heel. What does this mean? Is that one day a Messiah would come forth to set everything back right, to bring us back to plan A, which was take dominion, subdue the earth. But that Messiah, he would suffer at the hands of wicked men, but through his suffering, all of Satan's kingdom would be crushed. Jesus would suffer, his heel would be bruised, but in effect, the consequence was that all of Satan's kingdom would be destroyed. Jesus' heel would be bruised, Satan's head would be crushed, amen? So this is the gospel. It was first actually declared in Genesis. But from Genesis uh, 4 to 11, we have several notable events, but we're going to, for the sake of time, um, jump ahead. And one of those things that happened, of course, is we know the descendants of Adam and Eve multiplied as did their sin in in the darkness in their heart. And in Genesis chapter 6, it says, The Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intent of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he made man on the earth, and he was grieved in his heart. So the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast, creeping things and the birds of the air, for I'm sorry that I've made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So God decides that he's going to judge the earth with a worldwide flood in order to cleanse it. But he calls out to a righteous man named Noah, and he calls him to build an ark to save him and his family, two of every kind of animal. And we're going to fast forward, but fast forwarding, to from Genesis 6 to Genesis 10 um, to the post-flood world is that we have Noah and his three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japh- Japheth. Those are good, some good name ideas for your next ch- child. Um, <laughs> Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Um, Noah, his sons, his wives, they come out of the ark and... God gives the Noahic covenant and a promise that never again would he judge the earth with the flood. The sign of that covenant was a rainbow that he put in the sky. After the flood, Noah and Noah's sons and their wives come out of the ark and we read about the first mention in Genesis 10 of nations. And it's called the table of nations. The table of nations is the first 70 descendants making up the first 70 nations out of Noah's three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Um, So in Genesis, I ask you to turn there, Genesis 11 is where we're gonna pick up here. And we have the table of nations. Um, And it's in Genesis, we're gonna start in verse, uh, Genesis chapter 10, verse 32. It said, These were the families of the sons of Noah according to their generations in their nations, and from these nations were divided on the earth after the flood. So, this is the first mention of nations up to this point. And this is a key verse here is that we know that all the nations, all these descendants, they had one common language and speech. And Genesis chapter 11 says, Now the whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass that as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in, la- in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there and then they said to one another, come and let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone and they had asphalt for mortar. Okay, so many of you guys have heard us uh, uh, speak on this before but um, one revelation I feel like the Lord uh, had me see in this is that God created stones, man created bricks. Um, The first thing here is that bricks fit together in conformity. Stones are uniquely fitted in their fashion together in order to come alongside to build a a house. And that's God's design. There are, if you you think about bricks, they look just the same, right next to each other. However, stones, there's no two stones that are alike. Bricks come together and they fit in conformity, stones uniquely fitted and fashioned. Brick homes are laid, a house of stones is fashioned, each formed and fitted. In First Peter 2, 5 it says, You also, you are living stones being built up into a spiritual house, a holy priesthood, to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. In Ephesians two, twenty one it says, In him the whole structure is joined in the Amplified, it says, bound and welded together harmoniously, and it continues to rise, grow and increase into a holy temple in the Lord, a sanctuary dedicated, consecrated, and sacred to the presence of the Lord. In him and in the fellowship with one another, you are, yourselves are also being built up into the structure with the rest to form a fixed abode, to form a dwelling of God in and by and through. In, by, through the Spirit. In a house of stones, each stone is, is specially picked and smoothed out in order that it might take its place along the others. Verse 4 And they said, Come and let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the Son of Man had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one. And they all had one language. And this is what they began to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. So we see that the people are unified, the language is unified, and the mission is unified. They are of one heart, of one mind. They've, They've come together to establish a high place with the level of unity that the Lord himself said that if they were able to do this, nothing that they proposed to do will, will, be in, will, will be impossible for them. Um, they created a capability through this level of unity of empowering a, a people under a demonic force so powerful that, again, the Lord himself said nothing they proposed to do will be withheld. Okay, in other words, the effect of evil and the demonic power will be able to subdue the planet through their oneness in rebellion to God. Um, this in one aspect, it represents the profound power of unity, the profound power of agreement. And we also see from the Tower of Babel that the unified people coming together in rebellion, it reveals one of Satan's. Ancient diabolical strategies, and that is to create an ambition—the the ambition to create an empire and unite mankind under one universal rule. And we see that in the Egyptians, we see that in the Babylonian kings, Roman emper- emperors, the Roman Catholic Church after Constantine, all of these and more—they possessed a, uh, an ambition of building global empire. This ambition is as old as the Babylonian empire. And in Genesis 11, verse 7, this is what the Lord responds with. He says, come and let us go down, and there confuse their language, and they may not understand one another's speech. So God is presenting a counter strategy to Satan's diabolical plan to create Uh, global empire and verse 8 so the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of the whole earth and they ceased building the city therefore the name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the languages of all the earth and from there the Lord scattered them abroad over the whole face of the earth okay so because of their rebellion and the capability in their unity the Lord divides them in order to save them from themselves This event, in effect, it reveals that Satan wants bricks, unity in conformity, God wants stones, a unity in diversity. Satan wants empires, God wants nations. Thus, we see in Genesis, in the table of nations in Genesis 10, and the dispersion of those nations throughout the earth, as well as the languages appointed to those nations, is that the creation of nations comes straight from God's heart it's his idea and it is his, his counter strategy to Satan's diabolical plan to create one world government. Nations are not man's invention, but God's design. In fact, not only did he appoint languages to them and disperse them, but he also gave them their appointed times and the places of their dwelling or boundaries. And we read that in Acts uh, seventeen twenty six. When speaking to the people of uh, Athens, (laughs) the Apostle Paul he says, "God made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the earth, on the face of the earth, and He has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings." God created nations that carry different shapes, sizes, and unique redemptive gifts and purposes. God gave them the language, culture, and boundaries that exist between them. So just as no individual is the same, churches are not meant to be identical either, and nations are not meant to be identical, and so the same. Um, And so we see God dispersed them. He divided them in order to save them. And then I love to parallel this with Acts chapter 2 where we see the counter in Acts chapter 2 verse 2 the day of Pentecost it says suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a mighty rushing wind it filled the whole house where everyone was sitting there appeared to them divided tongues as a fire one sat upon each of them they were all filled with the Holy Spirit began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance and then it goes in describes all the those dwelling in Jerusalem devout men from every nation under heaven. And when the sound occurred, the multitude came together, and they were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. So what happens is that God divides the languages, and in Acts 2, the counter happens, and he unites the languages in a language of the Holy Spirit. And we see the nations, a convergence is that this, uh, the outpouring of, of uh, Pentecost, the Holy Spirit brought a revival. It birthed the church, and the birth of the church was through a convergence of of nations and cultures under heaven with one spiritual language all looking to Jesus at Babel God divides the languages to inhibit them from building a high place to rebel against God because we know if they had one language and reached into the heavens nothing would be withheld from them but where God divides the languages at Babel he now unites them in Acts 2 in a new language at Pentecost in the Holy Spirit and the Apostles Built on the cornerstone of Jesus Christ, we see they built a high place of prayer, a high place of unity before God. One place, one accord, they're in a prayer meeting. High place of prayer and worship, one mission, one spirit and now one, one spirit in one language. Acts 2, God united the dilemma he created in Genesis so that in the spirit through Christ, we, have a, we now have a new sense of unity. We now have a new, the fa- uh, Josiah hit on this when he preached, the fa- Jesus praying, Father, make us one. Make them one, speaking of the church, as you and I are one. A profound, prophetic prayer that Jesus uh, asked the Father of. In the same way that the Father and Son are one person, One God, of one spirit, in the same way they are one, he prays that you and I would become one. In other words, we would share in that same covenantal bond relationship that the Father has with his Son, is that you and I would share in that same covenant relationship. And what happens when we gather together in prayer and worship is that we're creating a, th- a high place for God to come, and he says he dwells on the, upon the praises of Israel, his people. He dwells upon the praises. We establish a high place, and through the Holy Spirit, as we gather in one mind, one place, one accord, one language in the Holy Spirit, nothing will be impossible for us either, but it'll be for the glory of God, for the sake of advancing his kingdom. So God wants to create an environment, as we gather, that opens up like a portal where If we can love one another as we have been loved, unite with one mission, and pray in one language, then we'll create an atmosphere where nothing will be impossible for us. And it will go from here and overflow into the nations. And so that's what we're going to see is that this is God's heart from the original uh, foundation of the world is that he wanted to fill the earth with his glory. He created nations. They're his idea to counter Satan's strategy, and that taking those nations and discipling those nations is part of how we fill the earth with the knowledge of His glory, and that taking those nations is core to our identity as the church. So, you know, this is such a beautiful passage. It says in 1 Corinthians 16, therefore, um, therefore from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though that we have known in Christ. We know Christ according to the flesh, yet we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things pass away. Behold, all things have become new. And so there's that, there's that um, call to put on the eyes of the spirit and to see one another according to how Christ originally intended us to be. Genesis. Um, um, yeah, so I've got all these passages on, on the power of unity. Um, he, he, has made, he, made, he has made the two groups one, div- removing the dividing wall of hostility, he himself becoming our peace. Okay, so we're going to move ahead here to, in, um, and I'm not going to go through this whole thing. There is a, um, I think it was on Pentecost, I actually gave a message that break, breaking down Peter's uh, first gospel message or, or sermon here in Acts 2.14. But I'm just going to s- jump into this. And we see uh, Peter's first gospel message, his sermon, was it carried these elements to it. Number one, it was the message of his death, uh, verse 22. It was the message of Christ's death, his resurrection, and the atonement for sins. It was also a fulfillment of the prophecy, specifically that a descendant of David would sit upon his throne to establish a kingdom. And that prophecy comes from 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 12. And it, Peter ended his uh, sermon with the message of the Lordship of Christ. So we're going to come back to this. But in the garden, um, as I shared on, we forfeited, we took those divine keys of authority and we forfeited them. And we became slaves of the one that we, o- we obeyed. And that's what Romans says. is that, do you not know that you're slaves of the one that you obey? So when we obeyed Satan... We became slaves. A curse entered the world. And we see through Christ, his death and resurrection is that he's coming on behalf of humanity in order to uh, regain and restore that authority that we lost and forfeited as our elder brother. In other words, on behalf of mankind, he came to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, taking our sin upon him, and through the cross, becoming the firstborn of m- many brethren, the ambassador, uh, uh, the representative of humankind, so that through his death and resurrection, all those that put their faith in Christ would follow in a like manner, is that we have, we have b- been both crucified, and we will rise with him to walk in the newness of life. And so we see this reversal. Jesus has come back to restore what we gave away. And... Um, it speaks. Um, we're gonna. I want to jump in right here. In Peter's sermon it says, "David says concerning him, I foresaw the Lord always before my face. He is at my right hand, that I might not be shaken. Therefore, my heart rejoiced and my tongue was glad. Moreover, my flesh will also will rest in hope, for you will not my, leave my soul in Hades. He's speaking. This is a prophetic scripture about Christ being raised. Nor will you allow your holy one, speaking of Jesus, to see corruption. You have made Known to me the ways of life, you will make me full of joy in your presence. Okay, skip down to verse 34. For David did not ascend into the heavens, but he says himself, The Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know assuredly that God has made this Jesus whom you crucified, both the Lord and the Christ. Now, when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Okay. So Christ was the firstborn of many brethren in Psalms 2. And you can write this down or jump there. And Psalms 2 is a prophetic passage about the Messiah. And it's, in essence, the father speaking to the son Christ and saying, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Christ's resurrection was considered a birth. The Father saying to the son, You're my son. Today I've begotten you. I've raised you. And now he says, Ask of me, and I will give you the nations as your inheritance. When Jesus stepped out of that grave, he stepped out as a representative of a new humanity, a new creation in order to restore us back to plan A, which was subduing the earth, taking dominion. And so now that Christ has come to restore those keys, the father looks to the son and he says, today I've begotten you, now ask of me for what they gave up. That is nations, that is the glory of God filling the earth. That is the dominion and the subduing of the earth underneath the rulership of Christ so christ was raised and now we now he he is he is speaking to the to christ and all of those that would put their faith in him and he's saying ask of me the father saying now ask of me for the inheritance that is in jesus and that inheritance is that he is reconciling all things back to himself all things are being reconciled in christ which includes the reconciliation of the earth and nations which are part of his inheritance and so uh, Jesus, now coming out of that grave before his ascension, he makes this uh, he makes a statement. He says, All authority has now been given, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. No, no authority, uh, there, there's no authority greater than God himself. When Jesus made that statement, he was making that statement as our elder brother, a representative of humanity. And he's saying, All, all authority, I've restored what you lost. All authority has been given back to me. Now, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. And so we see that God, through the cross and resurrection, is restoring us back to the original dominion mandate. That is, I've called you to take the earth. I've called you to, to come into your purpose and to take the cities, to take nations, and to take influence. We are here as a, a, as a uh, mission We are here with a missional identity and a missional calling, and that is to to take nations and bring transformation. In other words, I've restored what you lost in Eden, therefore go. And in Acts 2, Peter, he's proclaiming the fulfillment of this prophetic statement in Psalms 2. Okay, are you guys following along? So I gave a message on Easter, and it was kind of, I went through the whole outline here. And so I'm just, t- today it's, I'm really trying to kind of present that outline again. Um, and then if we jump, I'm just gonna read one verse here from Acts 3.25, but if we jump a chapter ahead in Acts 3.25, um, Peter makes this statement. He says, you are the sons of the prophet and of the covenant which God made with our father, Saying to Abraham, and in your seed, all the families of the earth shall be blessed. Okay, so this is another important piece of this, and once all the pieces are together, there's a there's a grand culmination. Um, but in Acts three twenty five, Peter's basically saying, um, "You're the sons of the prophet. You are the sons of the seed of Abraham." So. In order to understand that, we have to go back to Genesis again. And this is, we see Genesis 10, 11, and then Genesis chapter 12. If you go back to Genesis chapter 12, we find the call of Abraham. Understanding Abraham and the call of God in his life to become a father of, of many nations is crucial to understanding our assignment as the body of Christ today. Genesis ch- uh, chapter 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abraham, I, I just love this. This is God's first interaction with Abram. And he, he, uh, the Lord shows up and he says, Get out of your country, from your family, from your father's house, and go to a land that I will show you. So it's quite a high and hello Hello, how are you doing? This is God's first interaction. He's saying, leave everything that you know, leave your family, leave your father's house, and go to a a place that I'm going to reveal to you. This is how God loves to introduce himself to us. It's a radical call. Do you remember when he told Peter, drop your nets, come and follow me? And because of the words of authority, the words of life, Something, something inside of them came alive when he speaks, and we follow him, even though we don't have all the details of the road map. So God, uh, God introduces himself, and he calls Abraham in a radical way to leave everything that he knows and to take on a new identity. And he gives them a promise that is it's repeated all throughout Genesis, that in Abraham, all the nations of the earth would be blessed. So Genesis 18, 18, we see this. Abraham shall surely become a great and mighty nation and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him and Genesis 22 18 in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice So Abraham is a key um, prophetic prototype in the Old Testament of the New Testament church both and we see this, both Peter in the book of Acts and Paul in Galatians, both of them tie us to this, this same promise that was given to Abraham and his seed, which is Christ and all those that would put their faith in Christ. And that is, they tied us to the same Abrahamic promise, Abrahamic blessing and mandate. Galatians 3.16, Now to Abraham and to his seed were these promises made. And he does not say and to seeds as of many, but as of one, and to your seed who is Christ. And in Galatians three eight, the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, In you all the nations of the earth would be blessed. And then again in Acts three twenty-five, You're the sons of the prophet and of the covenant which God made with our fathers, saying to Abraham, In your seed all the families of the earth shall be blessed." So in a similar fashion, God is calling us in the same way that he called Abraham. Abrams, um, his very name, the name Abraham means exalted father. This revealed an aspect of his nature and the calling that God would put on him is that he would not be called as an ordinary father, but he would take on a much broader responsibility, a greater name later being changed to Abraham in Genesis 17, which means the father of many nations. But Abraham's, uh, sorry, Abram's very name, Exalted Father, it reveals that he was willing to take a higher position than your average father. And I believe in a similar fashion, we're called to understand that God has asked us in the same way to take on a greater level of responsibility than the average person. And it's in this responsibility that uh, it possessed our, our fathers of the faith to, to follow God to a place whose builder and maker is God. Abraham, he carried in this, uh, in, the, in this mandate a supernatural blessing and a favor to possess the land that was tied to the assignment to be a father. Um, God calls him to leave his country. The first thing I want to say on that is that there's some of you in this room and, and there's people that God has called that He's called you to literally leave your country. Some people, um, there's some people that God has, they, they, it's almost as if they live in a container. They haven't fit in. You haven't fit in your whole life. You feel that you've born in a container, and perhaps you've been held in a capsule because you're being preserved and held with a calling because you have a calling for another uh, people group or nation entirely. So there's some people that their life doesn't make sense, and they actually have a calling from the Lord, a mantle to another people, group, culture, another nation. That could be some of you in this room. Um, leaving, but leaving our country in another sense, it speaks to leaving our realm of security, our realm of comfort, our realm of influence. It, it means we're leaving that which is known and comfortable and secure in order to seek first his kingdom and to venture out in, in looking for God's plans and his purposes in our life. Um, when we do this, when we, when we choose to drop the nets like Peter, the nets of mediocrity, and we follow the Lord going into the unknown, a land that I will show you, when we do this, there's nothing there's nothing that we can fall back on but God. And this is, again, this is where he wants us to live. He wants us to tap in by faith into uh, resources of heaven. And he wants us to move into place a place whose builder and maker is God. Um... And we see this, in, remember when Jesus tells his disciples, he says, Take nothing for your journey, neither staffs, nor money, nor bread, neither have two coats apiece. This was intentional language because he's saying, I want you to go by faith, dependent upon me to provide for you. Heidi Baker, in one of her um, messages, how many goes, No, Heidi Baker, if you don't, she's got this, I love this picture back here called Compelled by Love, a documentary of her life. And in one of her messages, she reminds us that we often have a plan B ready to go in case God doesn't show up. Pointing out that this often it kills spiritual hunger in us and the desperation. Perhaps at some time we're more uh, the church of Laodicea. We look more like the church of Laodicea than the church venturing out into the unknown following his purposes. We look more like the church that was said of Christ, because you say I'm rich and become wealthy and I have need of nothing, and yet you do not know you're wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Is that sometimes we become so secure in what we've built around us, but God is calling us deeper. God is calling all of us to go a level deeper with him in seeking first his kingdom. To fully grasp the heart of God, for the church to step into its core identity as a missions base in the earth, seeking God to transform the world around her. We must possess an an understanding of the overarching story of God's redemptive plan throughout history. And that is the missionary calling of the church. And it predates her very existence. It predates her having roots all the way back in the call of Abraham in Genesis 12. And that is that God's eternal purpose is to extend his redemptive purposes to all the families of the earth through the descendants of Abraham. And that is to, in effect, to touch all of the nations of the earth. When we we miss or we ignore this conception of the church, we ignore the burden in God's heart and the very essence of our existence. And that is God has chosen to work in partnership with us, binding himself according to his one all-wise plan. He's working in partnership with his global church. Though she is weak and finite, we have to understand ourselves as co-laborers, called to be priests, kings, and rulers, with a heart to take the nations for Jesus. In Psalms 8, 6, you have given him to to have dominion over the works of your hands, putting all things under his feet. In Hebrews 2, eight, you have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in, in that he put all in subjection under him. He left nothing that is not put under him. But now we do not yet see all things put under him. In Ephesians one 22, twenty uh, two, he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Okay, so what these verses are basically saying is that through Christ as the head of the church and the church as Jesus' feet, God is putting all things under him, Christ, through the church, bringing all things under his dominion. Okay. You guys get all that? <laughs> um, I just don't know how else to start the series without... Without just dumping it all on, so you can go back. Um, I did give a message on. It's called um, the House of God, and it kind of has these same elements, maybe better uh, communicated. But it's it's on our it's on our podcast that we have. Um, but I'm going to close here. Um, but this is, uh, if this was a book, this would be, this would be your, uh, well, this would kind of be your introduction chapter, okay? So the best, <laughs> the best is yet to come. All right, so, but it's, it's, um, it's vital to put before the body, I believe, uh, to put before the body of Christ the broad vision of our identity in the mission and discipling nations. So we're gonna, throughout the series, we're going to look at the fourfold Great Commission mandate in more detail. And this teaching is in many ways like a thirty thousand foot view of of um, of a global vision of the body of Christ in the in the world. And so but it's also a it's also personal summons as well as a local strategy. And it's a this series, it's a call to take our place with the local and the global church in receiving and fulfilling the heart of of, of Jesus. And um, it's a summons also, this is a summons to get healthy, to get healed, to evaluate your purpose, your gifts, and to take your place in building a spiritual family and apostolic community. And so we'll be reviewing some of the foundations for um, what does that look like? Building an apostolic community. We did a series last year on that. Also, we want to look at the seven mountain mandate the five spheres of authority, the warfare concerning the battle for cities and nations, prayer evangelism and the shifting of spiritual atmosphere, um, worldview and its correlation to poverty and prosperity, and more. So this is your introduction. Um, And so we can appreciate the church's uh, communities that have a vision for nations to support and support world missions. But we also have to ask the question, from what are we saving the world? It's hard to have an impact when there is no distinguishable difference between the moral integrity or the worldview of those that claim to be born again Christians and those that do not. My dad actually hit on this in class today, but I had this written down. But according to a study conducted by George Barna, less than 10% of churches today have a biblical worldview. Charles Spurgeon said that he could find 10 men who would die for the Bible for every one that he could find who would read it. That statement is as true today that it was in his day. There's simply no way to remedy the present state of the church except by recovering our divine mandate from heaven to fulfill the Great Commission. We must, turn, we must make converts and turn them into disciples. We must start in the church before we can be an effective force for the gospel of the kingdom and the world. And the true success, the true measure of success in our leadership will be to the extent that we have equipped equip the people of God to be sent from this place to accomplish their purpose and to disciple nations. Having large a large church, having large churches are not as important about as raising up powerful churches that are composed of people who know the ways of God and are trained and equipped to live and do the will of the king. All right, so stand up. I know it just unleashed on you guys. (laughs) Uh, It got a little um, foggy there. (laughs) You guys doing okay? All right. (laughs) So this is big. This is big stuff, right? You're like, who am I? Lord, who am I? All this that's exactly how I want you to feel. I want you to see the 30,000 foot view of, of, of how Jesus sees the church and where we're going, what we're called to, because only in that place when we see he's saying, today I've begotten of, today I've begotten you. Now ask of me for nations as your inheritance. When we begin to see that, we begin to find the essence. We begin to be called back and summoned to our core identity. We are a missionary community, an apostolic community in the earth called to take cities and nations and advance the kingdom. And so Lord, we thank you for your heart. This is your heartbeat. We ask that you would now mobilize us. We pray for uh, missions, mobilization in this place and in this city. We're asking you for divine wisdom, that you would open the eyes of our heart with spiritual wisdom and revelation to know the hope of our calling the inheritance of Christ that he has in the saints, and his glorious power that is at work within us. All of these things because God, you have plans, and you have purposes. And Lord, we're grieved at the condition that we look and we see our cities in. We're grieved of the condition of the nations. And we know that Lord, we have failed in discipling them. And so we're coming together saying, Lord, give us divine revelation, strategy. Lord, we're not just here to play church, or just to come and worship, we're here to see a city shaken. I mean, I don't know about you guys, but I'm not here just to check the box, just to say that we had church, we had a good worship, we had some chills. God, we're here to shake a city. We're here to make disciples, and we're here to touch the nations. And Lord, so Lord, saying, mobilize us together with the citywide body to do your will. And so Lord, I pray right now, Holy Spirit, come and release uh, this is a summons to to find individually, a summons to find our individual purpose and also to receive your heart and to, to, to receive healing. And so, Lord, pour out your love. Pour out your, your heart, your compassion, your mercy right now, I pray. No matter where you're at this morning, the Lord, I, I, I feel the Father, the heart of God in this room, and He's saying, come and receive my love freely. Come and receive how much that I love you because only out of that place can you be. You've got to be a son. You've got to be a daughter. And so, Lord, pour out the spirit of adoption and baptize us in the love of the Father so that together, beside one another, we, together we may able, be able to comprehend the width and the depth and the length and the height to know that which pass the love of Christ which passes knowledge. Father, Father of glory, give us your love. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.